Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson. Today I have a special treat for you as we discuss fashion and social media law with world-renowned attorney Danielle Garneau of the global law firm of Greenberg Traurig that's headquartered in Miami, Florida. So if you're in a fashion or social media such as Instagram and Facebook, you're in for a big treat. Danielle is a shareholder at Greenberg Traurig, having practiced law since 2000. Since that time, Greenberg Traurig has become one of the largest law firms in Florida and the United States and really the world. Danielle represents fashion clients of all sizes, ranging from startups to multinational global brands, helping them navigate through legal issues such as startup and corporate operation, intellectual property such as trademark and copyright issues, social media and influencer marketing, regulatory compliance, anti-counterfeiting, and employment matters. Danielle's legal work is highly regarded, and she has been recognized as a top lawyer in Florida Trends Legal Elite, Florida Super Lawyers, and Law 360. She's also chair of the Miami Beacon Council's Creative Design Committee, as well as on the Board of Trustees of the Young Arts Foundation in Miami. Danielle is the attorney for the not-for-profit group Style Saves, which is a really cool Miami charity that provides clothes and school supplies to Miami kids and holds one of the top fashion shows during Miami Swim Week in the summer. Danielle is also a mom of four, a devoted wife, and a worldwide traveler, just returning from attending New York Fashion Week in New York and hanging out with James Harden of the Houston Rockets, which I think is pretty cool. You can learn more about Danielle's practice on Instagram at gtfashionlawyer and online at www.gtlaw.com. Please welcome Danielle Garneau to Living the Dream. Danielle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. So you've got a really interesting practice in fashion and social media law because a lot of my friends are into modeling or they're designers and my friends who aren't in that field, they're always on social media with Facebook and Instagram. So you know, you wouldn't think a lot of legal issues come up with that kind of stuff. But as we lawyers know, legal issues come up in everything. So tell me a little bit about your practice. So my practice, like you said, I represent, you know, anywhere from startups to multinationals. We generally represent them as a holistic approach, like a 360, where we not only work with them from, let's say, intellectual property matters, but from compliance matters, employment matters, and really addressing all of the hot topics that come up with fashion brands or companies these days in the law. So if somebody's wanting to start up a fashion company and they come to you and say, Danielle, I want to start up a new company, what kind of basic advice do you give them to help get them on the right track? From a legal perspective, initially is what is your brand? Do you have a name and have you done an adequate intellectual property trademark search before you invest a ton of dollars into that name because you want to make sure that you have clearance to use that name and that you won't, the first you know, a couple thousand dollars that you spend won't be fighting off a uh, trademark infringement case. So that is really just the first step is to make sure that you have clearance in the name, you want to get the website and all of those things, and then to make sure that you have the right corporate structure for your business. Mm -hmm. Is there a preferred corporate structure that you recommend to people or because we have corporation options, limited liability companies, limited liability partnerships, uh, general partnerships? I, I know that at least in the real estate world that I deal with, it's usually like an LLC. We may have a corporation, but uh, sometimes a partnership. But uh, what is usually the best for fashion companies? 
It just depends, uh, you know, the number of partners, the amount of investors that you have. Usually with a startup, we'll just go with an LLC. It's just easier right off the bat. Yeah, some of the other issues that we, you know, especially with startups, um, and I think my sweet spot right now is with these Instagram darlings, as I like to call them, or these buzzy brands, is to make sure, and we talked, you mentioned it earlier, the law is really slow to catch up to social media and what's happening on Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms. So you want to make sure that you are following the law. You just can't take somebody's photograph off of Instagram and post it. There are certain copyright laws that protect whoever owns the copyright to that that photo. So you want to just make sure that you are acting accordingly you know, with the law. And so I help navigate those issues with my clients. Right. You know, like we said, social media is such a huge thing. I mean, I know I spend a, usually an hour on them each day, just keeping up with friends and different trends. And of course, Instagram and Facebook have grown exponentially the past five or six years. When you have companies that want to work with social media influencers and marketing, what advice do you give them? Because there's a lot out there. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there, too. I mean, what I hear from a lot of my clients is, well, I spoke to a social media expert and they said it's OK for me to use this photo as long as it's in, you know, it's already been published in the public domain. Well, no, that's not the law and that's not necessarily the case. So you want to make sure that you understand the law before proceeding in this space because they can draw some pretty unwanted Cease and desist letters. Um, But when you're working with influencers, you really want to make sure, one, that, of course, the influencer is on brand for your brand. You want to make sure that they have a good history of engagement because you don't want to spend a lot of money with little return. And, you know, you do see that. It's really hard sometimes to gauge, you know, what happens when companies use influencers, unless you're talking about like a massive celebrity, is that you might get an uptick in engagement, but that doesn't necessarily translate to increased sales or revenue. So you want to make sure that this is a good investment for your company, especially if you're a smaller company and you don't have a lot of, you know, cash on hand. One of the other things, too, is that you want to make sure that you get the benefit of your bargain, right? So a lot of people don't love contracts. I understand that. It's, you know, uh, you know, especially here in Miami, a lot is based on relationships and handshakes. I get that. But, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, you're spending money on something, you want to make sure that you get the benefit of your bargain. So as a brand, you don't necessarily want to pay for the whole contract up front. You don't want to just give them money to go ahead and post because what if they don't follow the contract, then you've got to go back and either sue them for breach of contract, which is not that easy to get your money back in that case. So, you know, if I'm advising the brand, I tell them, you know, you should pay a little bit of money up front. And once they completed whatever you've asked them to do, then you'll, you'll pay them the rest. Some of the other things that you want to make sure when you're contracting with influencers is you want to make sure that you have an out. Because the law says that if there is a material connection between the brand and the influencer that the consumer may not be aware of, that disclosure needs to be made in whatever post or communication the influencer is taking on behalf of the brand, right? And if they don't do that, they're essentially violating the FTC regulations, Federal Trade Commission regulations. 
So if they don't follow the law, then you want to be able to terminate them. So you want to have a clause that says that if they don't follow X, Y, and Z, then you can terminate the agreement. Another provision that I put in these contracts is a morals clause because you don't want to spend a lot of money for an influencer who's representing your brand and God forbid they go off the reservation and do something terrible that negatively impacts your reputation as a brand. So we have these morals clauses which say, you know, they must live up to the standards of the brand and if they, you know, act badly, then we can terminate the contract and get our money back. So those are some of the things from a legal perspective when dealing with influencers that I like to address in a contract. One thing uh, with the influencers is I know a lot of companies in Miami obviously use influencers for Instagram and Facebook posts. And I think one mistake that they make and that I've made when I first started with Instagram and in 2013, is you think that somebody who has 200,000 followers or 2 million followers or 5 million followers, you're like, well, you know that all their followers are not going to buy your product, but if like maybe 1% of their followers will buy your product or come to the event that they're hosting, that um, you'll make a lot of money. And what I've learned through Instagram is that you kind of have, have to do more due diligence and figure out, okay, how many of their followers actually like their posts and what percentage is that and I've I've understood like three to five percent is good. You have some that may get one percent. But then there are insights that you can ask these influences about about where your followers from. Do you see that your clients are going to that level of detail in their evaluation? Or do you even get to that level with them? Yeah, I don't know that they're going to that level. It just depends on the brand and what they're looking for. That makes sense. I mean, obviously, you want to make sure that you have an influencer that has a good engagement, which means, you know, that presumably their followers are actual real people because you and I both know that there are companies and ways to purchase fake followers. I think there was an interesting experiment that somebody did once where he purchased, I think, a million followers. And then the next day, brands and companies were sending him free product all over the place to to post about it. And it was just really a social experiment, which I think is very, very telling. So you want to make sure you're not dealing with one of those. And yeah, I mean, you really want to make sure that you understand your target consumer, your target audience, and make sure that that influencer can reach that audience. And hopefully that will translate into sales for you. I thought it was interesting in your contract, you were talking about like if they hire an influencer that they just pay a little along the way. Do you find that your clients, let's say they want to work with Jennifer Lopez, who obviously would be a very influential person to work with and with a high fee to pay. But do they kind of start with a trial and error thing where they say, okay, JLo, we want you to post about our shoes this one time, let's see how it goes. Or do they enter into an agreement where it's like, we're going to want you to do six posts over a six month period, and then we pay you each month? Again, that just really depends on what they want. And business is really all about leverage, right? So JLo is going to get whatever JLo wants. I could advise the brand and whatever they want, but JLo is going to get what she wants. Um, and she's going to want it all up front. It just depends, you know, I think somebody who's more unknown, you kind of want to do on a trial basis instead of committing yourself to paying over, you know, a six month year time. The contracts that we usually see are very short for either a limited amount of posts or a limited amount of time and limited amount of channels. 
Now, when they're working with influencers, do you have clients that tend to say, well, instead of paying you a flat fee, I'd like to pay you with free product or I'd like to pay you with a commission of sales from people who buy using your code. That way there's a little bit more protection for them. Yeah, always. I mean, that is generally, I think, the case, also depending on the brand and how mature they are. It's generally free product. And going back to the FTC regulations, and it's something, again, with misinformation, and and I don't know why this is, because I think people have been talking about the FTC regulations for a long time, but free product is a material connection. It's a gift, and that, under the FTC regulations, needs to be disclosed, right? So... Everybody hates making those disclosures. It's not sexy, I've heard. It's not organic. It hurts our brand. Yeah, I get that. But an FTC enforcement action is definitely not sexy. It will definitely hurt your brand. So you have to make sure that if you are giving free product away, even if you're just sending it out without any instruction you know, about how to post or what to post, those disclosures still need to be made. So if you are, my recommendation is to clients, if they are sending out free product that they put in a little card saying, you know, these are the hashtags that we would like you to use just so that disclosure is made. And, you know, everybody's kind of wrapped around the axle of hashtag ad because it's easy. It's only three characters. It's easy on Twitter. It's easy on Instagram. You know, everybody just uses it. It's now kind of become, I think, a little bit of white noise. Everybody just scrolls past it. But it can be more organic. You can say thank you for the free gift of, you know, this. It's now become my favorite go-to bag, you know, et cetera. You can be more creative with your disclosures, but it just has to be clear to the consumer what that material connection is. So is there like specific language they have to use in the FTC or just as long as they get the point across that this is an ad, that's what is necessary? Correct. There doesn't have to be any specific language. You know, the FTC has said certain language that they do like, like hashtag ad is fine. Hashtag sponsored is fine. They don't like abbreviations, so they don't like hashtag spawn. They don't like hashtag partnership. It would have to be partnership with X brand just so that it's clear to the consumer. So the consumer can allocate whatever weight it's going to give to that advertisement you know, as to whether or not that consumer is going to purchase that product, right? Because if I knew that somebody is getting paid X amount of dollars or or getting free stuff to post about it, I might think twice about whether or not I should buy it because they really don't love it. They're just getting paid for it, right? Right. Well, I will say this, that um, I know a large percentage of my listeners, they do advertising with social media influencers, or I have friends that are social media influencers. And my recommendation to them is they need to follow this clearly. And if they have questions, they need to contact Danielle Garneau and hire her as a lawyer to make sure that she's in, that they're in compliance. Because if you get an FTC violation, like how much money are we talking about here? So it's interesting. So the FTC has said a couple of things. One, they are not actually monitoring influencers. So I'll leave that at that since they've come out and publicly said that. They are not monitoring influencers, but if somebody brings it to their attention that somebody is violating the law, that they may take a a hard look at it. And when they do bring an enforcement action, we're not really talking about 
fines in the first instance. What they will do is they will make your life a living hell, especially if you're a brand, you know, getting all of your documents, interviewing people, they'll disrupt your business. And then essentially what we've seen in the past is they enter into a consent judgment, which says brand, you know, I will agree not to violate the law for 20 years. If I do, that's when the fines and penalties kick in. What they can do, however, instead of fines and penalties, is they can disgorge your profits from the sale of the product that was, you know, improperly posted. They can shut down your influencer marketing. You can shut down your social media marketing program. And if they do that, that is a huge death knell for any brand, right? Because whether you're a startup, whether you're a multinational, everybody right now is advertising on social media as opposed to traditional print advertising. And if the FTC wants to shut you down, that's essentially a killer for your brand. Yeah. No, that's a huge thing because um, I know in Miami, we have a lot of startup fashion companies and they'll do swimwear or women's clothing or whatever. And the way they advertise is primarily through social media and they get their girlfriends who happen to be models or good looking and they're kind of the models and, and they don't know about this kind of stuff. And that's why they need to listen to this podcast and work with fashion lawyers like you because a lot of people they're just not going to know about it and it's good that we're getting that information out so when you have a client who um, works with a social media influencer and they feel that they've been duped have they ever gone after these influencers and said you know what we're going to sue you we want to breach a contract because i do know some influencers who have actually been sued for fraud now, it always settles out from what I hear because the bottom line is no one wants to go to court. And But I know some other people that they're like, you know what, I worked with this influencer. I wasn't really happy with the work, and I'm just not going to use that person again. Yeah, I mean, look, filing uh, a lawsuit and going to court over these things is very expensive. You know, what you'll be able to recover from an influencer, I think, is questionable um, and whether or not it's worth the legal spend. I've seen it actually both ways. I've seen influencers, you know, have to send demand letters to brands who where they weren't paid for their work. And I've seen it the other way where, you know, brands are sending letters, demand letters to influencers. I think one of the more high profile cases in this regard, what we're seeing now is everything that's come out of the fire Festival, okay. which is, you know, if everybody remembers the uh, fiasco of a concert that was supposed to take place off, I think in the, I want to say Bahamas or one of the islands somewhere. And it ended up being just a giant, massive fraud. And you had major celebrities and influencers posting about this and how they were going to be there. And now what we're seeing out in California is a bunch of civil suits by people who either investors or consumers who were duped in this type of action. So you're seeing a lot of civil claims arising out of that. And so they were suing the influencers as well? Yeah. So what were they claiming with the influencers that they knew that this was a fraud and that they were just participating in the fraud? Yep. Interesting. Well, I will say this. Now, if you're an influencer, you know, we're not just talking about the businesses here. We're help, or to help the influencers as well. If you're an influencer, you really need to do the, your homework with the companies that reach out to you about wanting to work with you. Because living in Miami, we know that there can be some shady people out there and not just Miami, but everywhere. But so if you're representing an influencer, what tips do you give them to try to protect themselves in the contract? Interesting. So I do have friends who are influencers. Um, and from that perspective, 
I think one of the things that you want to make sure, one, that you're dealing with a reputable company and that you're going to get paid. Two, from the other side, obviously, you're going to want to negotiate as much payment as you can up front. And three, you want to be able to use your name, your likeness, the intellectual property, the posts themselves as you want. You don't want to give away your likeness in some sort of license agreement that gives the brand the ability to use it however they want to without getting compensated for that. So you want to make sure that, you know, whatever this contract is for, it's for a limited use and you get paid for that usage. Right. And you just basically say that um, it's for this particular campaign. So if you get paid for a six-month promotion and it's about fitness stuff, they don't start posting it three years later and you've gotten nothing for it. Exactly. One other thing I think that's important, at least from the going back to the brand side when working with influencers and who you are choosing to use, is you want to make sure that, one, that they're not working with any other of your competitors, right? And you, if you want to be able to contract for that to prevent them from working with a competitor for at least an extended reasonable period of time. And two, that they're not doing something that's a little bit off-brand. So for one, they're advertising toothpaste in one post and then, you know, tequila in the next post and then shoes in the next post. You know, you want somebody, I think, and what I recommend is somebody who's basically very consistent about what they market and that everything, you know, no matter what the product, but that's on brand for you because I'm a little bit older. I wish I was, you know, grew up and hit that influencer marketing because that's a great way to make money. And I'm not mad at any of those people who are doing it now. And I get that you got to make a living, but from a brand perspective, you want to make sure that, that whoever you're using, you know, doesn't really look like a paid shill when you're using them. So that's my recommendation. So since you represent a lot of fashion companies, what do they look for in their influencers? Because as you can imagine in Miami, a lot of the model influencers here, it's a lot of TNA shows and stuff like that. And it's like, you know what, though, if I'm working for a high end dress brand, I don't know if I want a, an ambassador that's always showing lingerie unless you are a lingerie company and maybe a little more risque than the brand. What do you see from your fashion clients? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I, th- I think that you want to make sure that they are on brand for you. You know, if you're doing athleisure wear, you want somebody that's more in the athletic space. If you're a jewelry brand, you want to make sure, you know, a, a fine jewelry brand that somebody is up to that, you know, fine jewelry aesthetic. And these new brands that are coming out are very savvy to that. And they already kind of know who who they want and, ha- and have a list. So it's rare that I find somebody or have a client that uses an influencer that's just totally off the reservation for them. They're, they're pretty savvy about that. I think, you know, more the multinationals because they're using more influencers in different channels in different countries, then that becomes more of an issue. And you really have to make sure, you know, you kind of stay on top of who you're using and to make sure that they are adequately representing your brand. Again, those morals clauses are very important. And that's really where that kind of issue kicks in. But for the most part, they're really good about picking who represents them pretty well. Well, That's why it's good to have a good marketing team with uh, some good common sense. 
one of the things in Instagram that's become very popular over the past few years are Insta stories and Facebook is starting to pick that up. But from a brand standpoint, if you're negotiating an influencer, do they allocate a different rate for the post as opposed to a story? Because from my perspective, it seems like a post would be better than a story and I wouldn't want someone just doing a story. But yet, what do the fashion companies think? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's the grid versus the story, right? And so whatever goes on the grid, I think, is more carries more weight than just the story. So yeah, we do see different prices for different posts in different locations and different channels in the story versus the grid, yeah. On the rates, do um, people generally pay more for Instagram and Facebook as opposed to Twitter, or is it a little bit about the same? It's rare that... That it's delineated that it mostly what I'm dealing with is Instagram and, and Facebook, you know, YouTube, but Twitter is not really where they're doing most of their advertising. Right. So with these fashion companies, you know, we've got a lot of them coming up in Miami and South Florida. Kind of give uh, your take on the status of the fashion law in uh, Miami, because to me, it seems like it's grown quite a bit. We've added the Miami Design Center. We have Miami Fashion Week. We have Swim Week. What's your take on it? Because you're the expert. So... It's really exciting, actually. When I first started focusing my practice on fashion, I remember, you know, I went to management here and said, I really want to focus on fashion in Miami. And they were like, okay, I think you should need to be in New York for this. I said, no, I really, I think I can do this here. And the reason was, is because I'd really taken a hard look to see what was developing in Miami at the time. And, you know, we have Art Basel, we have the Design District, which is really just a special, amazing place. Wynwood, you know, we've got the arts, we've got fashion, all of the major fashion houses are now coming here. We've got Naeem Khan, who's bringing his entire fashion house here. We've got the uh, Marangoni Institute, which is an amazing Italian design school. We've got MIU, the amazing design school. So we really are now, and of course, we are the gateway to Latin America, we are really now primed to become one of the major players in the fashion in the U.S., if not globally. And it's just, you know, if you build it, they will come. We are building it, and now they're they're really coming. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in fashion in Miami, yeah. Well, one thing, too, if there's people coming to Florida in general from New York, our tax structure— in Florida is a huge influence for a lot of people leaving states where there's high corporate tax rates, high personal income tax rates, and they're coming to Florida where you don't have to pay state income tax. It's a very business-friendly state, and the weather is not too bad. Well, I mean, we just saw that Carl Icahn's coming here. So it's, uh, yeah, we are definitely a great place to grow and to live and to be. And I think there's no other place for me. Miami is just a wonderful, wonderful city. So speaking with Miami fashion, so you mentioned Art Basel. Some of my listeners who are not from Miami may not be aware of Art Basel and its impact. Can you just kind of give some insight on that? Because it's the first week of December, but it's just a major, major thing for Miami and a lot of business development comes from it. So just give some insight about the importance of Art Basel. Sure. So it is a giant art event where galleries from all over the world will come and show these amazing pieces of art. It attracts people in the art world from all over the world. And 
not only because art and fashion go hand in hand, now we're seeing the major international global fashion brands come here as well and host these incredible events. Like Prada last year did these amazing events all over the city, you know, Valentino, all of these great design houses come during that time and have these incredible presentations. It's a great way for them to showcase kind of what they've got going on. It's an influencer dream, really, when they come because some of the the nightlife and just the way that everything's set up is just made for for influencers. Um, but it's a really cool time to be in Miami. There's a ton of parties. Traffic is a nightmare. I love it and hate it at the same time <laughs> because I, you know, the events are great, but you can't get to one to the other, but it is a lot of fun. You know, if somebody is into um, starting a fashion company and from networking and things like that, or even influencers, are there good trade organizations that they should be a part of in South Florida? Yeah. So Fashion Group International is a wonderful trade group. It's a wonderful networking group. They've got them all over the country. The big one is in New York. We have our own South Florida chapter. It's a wonderful way to meet people in the fashion community. The Beacon Council Creative Design also does a lot in this space. It really is, you have to be a member, but it is a really great way to understand what's going on in the fashion, arts, and creative design world in Miami trying to think if there's what other it will it will come to me at some point but you know it is a small community the fashion community here so it doesn't it's not hard to find your people and everybody you see everybody at the same events it's a nice really great network and the people are really so nice i mean what i've the people that i've met you know doing what i do i feel very very blessed and lucky um it's a great little microcosm and a great community so you know, one of the things that um, comes up a lot with designs and stuff is, well, if I design this dress or this T-shirt or this handbag, should I get copyright or trademark protection on it so no one else steals my design? Can you just give a little insight on that? Yeah, sure. To the extent that you can get intellectual property in any of your designs, and it's hard to do unless it's a print or a photograph or something like that, you should get it and you should consult with a lawyer, whether it's me or somebody else, before you go ahead and do that because you definitely don't want to throw good money after bad. As a general matter, when it comes to apparel, dresses, shirts, sweaters, pants, those kinds of things are functional. The long line of history says, you know, if a garment is functional, you can't get intellectual property because, you know, it's a dress. It's meant to cover you and not in keep you from walking around naked. You can't get intellectual property rights in that dress. Um, now, if you have an original print in a fabric, yes, you can get copyright protection in that print, but in the cut of the dress or the design of the dress, generally not. You know, and that's kind of interesting, too, because people think if something's unique, like if they have a unique design for a toothbrush or a car, they get patents and things like that. But it's interesting that stuff like T-shirts, it's like, well, a T-shirt's a T-shirt unless it has like a specific logo on there. But, you know, it's funny when you have like the Golden Globes and all these award shows and you see what the celebrities are wearing. I mean, back in the day, I think J-Lo started a, a trend of these like really exotic dresses and I was with tape and all that. And I was like, you know, whoever designed that, they should definitely have a trademark or copyright for that because that was some talent there. Yeah. I mean, maybe for the tape. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if I, I think it was, she was wearing Cavalli and the, if I'm thinking of the palm print dress, which was uh, anyway. Um, 
Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely. It's not something that I would, you know, recommend spending a ton of money on to invest in getting something as far as a design. What we see, you can get more trademark protection, trade dress, what's called trade dress protection in accessories, which is generally the overall look and feel of a product. But again, that takes a lot of investment in marketing and advertising to make sure that you can adequately show that that accessory is a source identifier with your brand and mm-hmm. not to get all nerdy legal, but that's kind of where where that ends up. But it's tough. But if it's something that we as lawyers think that you can eventually get some sort of trademark protection in an accessory or design, then we will work with you to go through all the steps and eventually to get that. Because once you have that, then it's a source identifier. You have that protection. You can go then enforce it in the U.S. Just to kind of hit back on, um, you know, Miami's growth as a fashion destination and for business, Miami Swim Week has been a, a very popular thing the past several years. And I know the past few years, even Sports Illustrated has come and launched their uh, swimsuit issue or they do like a swimsuit fashion show. And so we're really getting some big name brands here. Can you comment about Miami Swim Week and its impact on Miami and the fashion growth here? Sure. I mean, Miami Swim Week has been around for, I would say, at least 20 years. And it is, you know, the largest trade show, I think, when it comes to swim. We are really lucky in the sense that Miami has Miami Swim Week. And this year I saw some tremendous brands from Latin America. Mm -hmm. And so not only are, you know, when you think of Miami and fashion, you always just think swim. We're so much more than that. But, you know, we do bring in these brands from all over the world. Everybody gathers here and it's, you know, it's a wonderful way to also showcase our local brands in that respect. And I think it's something that really keeps Miami on the map when it comes to fashion. One of the best Swim Week events is the Style Saves Fashion Show. And I know that you're um, the attorney for Style Saves. Can you give a little insight about that organization? Because I feel like it's very unique. They do a lot of very cool things and their events are great. And I think they've been around for... It's close to 10 years. I, I don't know if it's 10 years, but it's more than five for sure. And I think the uh, Rachel Russell, she's in the marketing field, and she has a team of people in the marketing field who put this together. But it's a really great uh, organization. So just give me some insight on uh, Style Saves. Sure. Rachel Russell, who created Style Saves, is probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She's young. She's brilliant. She's super talented. And most... Importantly, she's so philanthropic. And for somebody at that age to create this organization, that it's really shocking the statistics that I learned working with them, which is that there's 70% of children in Miami-Dade County live beneath the poverty level. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. I mean, I, I have I have four children myself and I know, you know, how hard that is. And then to not have an income that brings you above the poverty level to have these children. It's just, it's heartbreaking. So what Style Saves does is they partner with a bunch of organizations that provide backpacks, uniforms, clothing on their back to school 
event, which happens the day before all the kids in Miami-Dade go back to school, IGK, the hair salon in the design district, will go and do their hair. We went, we did face painting, nails. Dave Grutman and Isabella are really involved in it, and they provide so much. You know, their people come work it. And it basically provides all of the necessities that these kids need to start school so that they, it takes that burden off of their parents. And, you know, they don't have to worry about it. They have their backpacks now. They have their clothes. They have their shoes. They have eye exams. I mean, it's just really incredible. It's emotional. It's, you know, it's a wonderful organization. So I highly recommend if you can get involved or donate. It's just a wonderful thing. It's, it's a, just such a tremendous part of our community. Yeah. And their fashion show that they do, they usually hold it like at the Satai or Soho Beach House. And having done some events like that in, in the past, I know how much work goes into it. You've got to recruit the models. You've got to make sure you have your swimwear designers on time and show up and get people to show up and pay. Because sometimes in Miami, people want to come to these charity things for free. And it's like, well, you can't do that when you're doing these major events. So I think they do an excellent job. You mentioned Dave Grutman and Isabella Grutman, uh, of course, for those who aren't Miami natives, Dave is the owner of Live and Story, a, a major nightlife operation. And he's also, I guess, getting into the fashion industry, too, with restaurants and design and like Swan is in the design district. So talk about how that design district has grown in Miami and what its impact is has been on just the fashion and cultural scene. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think that's so special Two places I think that are really special, Design District and Wynwood. And whenever I have people come in from out of town, those two places are always where I take them. Swan is Dave Grutman's new restaurant. It's fantastic. The food's amazing. That whole area is, you know, for people who haven't been there, has all of the luxury brands, global brands in there. It's a great space. They do events now, Friday nights. They have different events, whether it was a Fendi collab that they were doing with an artist. And that was, you know, a lot of fun. You'll see a lot more of that coming up as we get closer to Basel. Um, it's just a great, great area. And next door is Wynwood, which is just an incredible street art scene. Again, if you're an influencer, it's some, you know, that's where everybody is taking photos right now because the artwork is so cool and it changes constantly. Like you can go in there and see one mural one day and then the next day it's gone. Something else incredible is, has popped up. So those places are really special. And and Wynwood houses more, you know, multinational, but more like edgy, cool brands now. Great restaurants, great nightlife. You know, again, just a really special, special place in Miami. Yeah, and it's one of the areas where... Um Matter of fact, when I bought my condo down in Miami, um, it's not too far from there. And I just read about the real estate deals that are going on in Wynwood. And there's a lot of money going into Wynwood. And it's not just for high-end fashion stuff, but they're putting in apartments and they're putting in maybe condos or want to put in hotels. And it's changing it a lot because it used to be like for the artists who were kind of straight artists and not high-end and expensive and things like that. And now it's getting really expensive. So I think in Miami, we're kind of having to be careful of bringing in the super nice stuff. But yeah, we're not pushing out the artists and fashion people that we need to be able to do this work because otherwise they can't find their spaces. Yeah, that's I mean, that's always kind of what happens, right? I mean, and then other cool areas come up like Little Haiti is really cool yeah. right now. There's just 
there's all sorts that just when when those kinds of things happen is that you see growth in in other areas that become like more of the hip artsy spots and it's been it's cool to watch yeah it's kind of like the tv show the jeffersons we're just moving on up the east side <laughs> yeah so well, i tell you what we've gone through a lot of really great content and i know i've learned some things through this too especially with those ftc disclosures but we know that you're kind of living the life as a lawyer and a fashion lawyer, but we got to find out, are you really living the life? So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and we're going to see, are you truly living the life? All right. First off, how do you juggle your law practice, which is very, very busy, and still find time to be a mom of four young daughters and a wife? I don't sleep. <laughs> no. I'm very lucky where I have... A lot of help. My husband, thankfully, has a domestic practice where he doesn't have to travel a lot. So he is, you know, wonderful. And then, you know, I just, whenever I can and I'm not on the road, I am home and doing stuff with the kids. So, what are your hobbies uh, so you can chill out? Oh, God. The gym, I think that if I wasn't exercising, you know, people might die. Uh, so that takes a whole lot of, that's a huge stress release. So whether it's, you know, some sort of fitness class, walk in the park, whatever I can do just to sweat, that keeps me sane. And yeah. <laughs> so what gym do you go to in Miami? Anatomy. You know, that's a really cool um, connection there because... I'm friends with Mark Magna, who's one of the co-founders of that, along with Chris Paciello. And uh, I've been friends with Mark's wife, Melanie, for several years. And I got to tell you, I don't know anybody who's more dedicated to fitness than Mark. He he lives and breathes, eats, sleeps, walks and talks fitness. Uh, so he's he's very, very dedicated. So, uh, you know, talk about anatomy because it's a pretty cool place in multiple locations now. Yeah, so they are, I go to the one on Miami Beach. There's one in Midtown over the bridge. Anatomy's great. I've known Mark a long time back when he was at, he was a trainer at Equinox. And yeah, I agree with that. There's no one who is more dedicated to fitness than Mark and just a really special, nice person. Great gym. It's clean. They've got all sorts of, you know, the infrared spa. They've got Pilates. They've got these, my favorite class, and I will plug her, is Alessandra's Booty Blast class. It is just an incredible class. She's got great energy. She's an amazing person. She did not pay me to say this, so I don't have to make any kind of FTC disclosure. Um, just bringing it full circle. But they've got great classes. It's a great gym. I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. Well, you know, we try to keep uh, in compliance with the law on this podcast. <laughs> you know, we talked about some really cool hot spots in Miami with you got the Design District, you got Swan with um, Dave Grutman, which they have that bar called Bar Bevy, which is a pretty hot place. And um, Anatomy. What are some other hot places in Miami for those who live here or want to come here on vacation that they should check out? They should probably ask somebody who's not. 44 and a mother of four because I haven't seen any <laughs> time past 10 p.m. since 2008. Honestly, you might be more in tune to what's hot than I am. But <laughs> So just go to Swan and Anatomy. You'll be good to go. I know um, with Rodney and I, we hang out at the Standard a lot, so that's always a pretty cool place. And um, we used to live over at Icon Brickles, so we'd go over to they have a nice facility there and gym and parks. And, I, you know, Miami has a lot of really nice parks, too. So that's one of the things we're trying to incorporate in, into our development. So, all right. So now we're going pop culture. Okay. So what's your favorite Seinfeld episode? 
Oh, is it appropriate to say the bet? You're meaning the contest, the aren't you? What, whatever that was where they're like, I'm out. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's my favorite too. <laughs> so no, I, I love Seinfeld. I mean that, that episode when George is having dinner and he was, they're like, what's wrong? And he's like, well, well, you know, I better not go into that. I'll get, I'll get a bad rating here. But anyway, just check out the Seinfeld, the contest on YouTube and you'll enjoy the episode. So, all right. What's your favorite Chris Farley movie? Oh God. I just, I can't distinguish one from the other. So that means Tommy boy. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love Chris Farley growing up, but, um, one of the things that was interesting with his career, and kind of like John Belushi too, he he was afraid of being stereotyped as this the big guy that's always falling down, the loud guy, and he kind of wanted to transition into stuff. But one thing that I didn't know is he was going to be the original voice of Shrek before he passed away, and of course that went to uh, Mike Myers. So he was trying to branch out. All right, so as you know, my bulldog Rodney is named after Rodney Dangerfield. So what's your favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie? I mean, Back to School, is there any other favorite? Well, I guess we could go Caddyshack, but Back to School is definitely my my favorite. Well, that's definitely a very good answer. I mean, I, I know when I get to retirement age, I'm probably going to go back to school and harass my nephews. So, no, I, I love that movie, too. All right, so speaking about Back to School, what's a better college movie, Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds, or Old School? Oh, I love Old School. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I love Animal House. But old school, it was just such a great movie. And of course, it's more modern. So, you know, more of the younger people may know about it, especially with Will Ferrell being in it as Frank the Tank. But I was related to old school because I could relate to Owen Wilson because, first off, we're both Wilsons, but his character was a real estate lawyer. So, and I thought Vince Vaughn and Jeremy Piven were fantastic as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like that one. That was a good one. All right. What's your favorite Bill Murray movie? Okay, so this is going to be, you know, kind of a sleeper. What about Bob? Interesting, I think, from 1991, in that with Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, I love that movie. (laughs) You know, the thing about Bill Murray, I mean, he's this guy that his career now is as popular as he was in the late 70s, early 80s. He's done, like, Lost in Translation, and, of course, he pops up everywhere at Cub Games and this and that. So quite the character. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge Bill Murray fan, but that was one of my weird favorite movies. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite Patrick Swayze movie? Oh, Dirty Dancing. Actually, and Roadhouse. I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to give them a tie. I like them for different reasons. I thought Roadhouse was just a very cool movie or he's just such a badass and, you know, Dirty Dancing was like my childhood, so that, you know, I'll give them a tie. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to argue with those movies. I love Roadhouse, too. I, I like them in The Outsiders as well. So what are your three favorite movies not starring Chris Farley, Rodney Dangerfield, Bill Murray, or Patrick Swayze? Clueless is one of my favorite old-school movies. Oh, what else? Okay, I'm a Sound of Music fan, so that was some, that will always be my favorite, and I make my poor children suffer through it every once in a while. And Top Gun. Top Gun. You know, they're making a remake of that movie, I think. I had to go through the list, and I'm like, no, they're not in any of those. Okay, yeah, they are. I heard that, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another remake that they're making is Eddie Murphy coming to America with Arsenio Hall. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be pretty awesome. I don't know how you can remake that. That was just so perfect in its time, I, you know. Well, they're going to give it a shot. And, um, 
you know, with Eddie Murphy, of course, he um, he kind of needs a movie that's going to do really well at the ratings. And I heard he's going to go out on stand up, too, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, no, that's really that, that'll be amazing. All right. So what's a better Miami TV show? Miami Vice or the Golden Girls? Golden Girls. <laughs> well, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I, I still watch the reruns, too. And, uh, you know, the, just the one liners that they have in there with like Dorothy and Blanche and Rose. or Well, of course, Sophia. I mean, it's just fantastic. I mean, they're always just a favorite. I can't. That, that was just a perfect television show. It can't be messed with. I hope they never remake it. It just needs to be as it is. And I still watch it. I think it's great. Which Golden Girl do you relate to the best? I am not saying. <laughs> okay. You're taking the fifth. All right. Name your top three rock bands. Does Lenny Kravitz count? Yeah. Okay. So Lenny, the Beatles. And since they're most, I just saw the Stones. I'm going to say the Stones since they're most recent in my head. Yeah. Yep. All good bands are all case of Kravitz. Is, he's just um, a performer. No, and Lenny Kravitz, uh, I think he still lives in Miami. So, you know, awesome performer. All right. So who is your favorite lead singer of the following? Mick Jagger, Steven Tyler, Michael Jackson, Prince, Axl Rose, Kurt Cobain, Sting, Chris Cornell, or other? Wow, that's a tough question. Probably Axl in his day. And I saw them probably like two years ago, and it wasn't amazing. Sorry, Axel, if you're listening. But yeah, I think Axel Rose back in his day. But, I, you know, listening to Mick Jagger the other night was just, I can't tell you how good they sound. I mean, and for being what he's, what, 75? Yeah, he's just sounds phenomenal. Yeah, no, I know the Stones are. Uh getting a, a good following on their shows. And it's it's kind of amazing that like Keith Richards is still alive after all this. But hey, you know, they're still around and touring and, and giving a good show. I'm a huge Axl Rose fan too, but I do have to agree with you. Um, he performed with the reunited Guns N' Roses band with Slash. And, and then I saw him with um, before he reunited with Slash, but his voice just didn't the same and, and all. But hey, they're still selling out concerts and making a lot of money. So kudos to them. So, okay. Who are your three favorite other musical performers in any genre other than rock? So I'm a big old school hip hop fan. I'd have to say Eric B and Rakim. I love Jay-Z. And who else do I love? My other favorite musical performer. You may just stick with those two. Yeah, I think I think I'm just gonna stick with those two. You know what was interesting about um, old school hip hop, and I think yesterday was, I think it was the 25th anniversary after Biggie got murdered. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. I can't believe it's been that long. I guess it was 94. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, that's that's a big uh, music genre down here in Miami. So, all right, three favorite TV series, past or present. Of course, one of them's the Golden Girls. So, <laughs> right, Golden Girls. I loved The Wire. I thought that that was just a phenomenal show. I do like Billions. I'm a huge Bobby Axelrod fan. And, you know, I am a sucker for all the Real Housewives. That is something that I will readily admit to anybody who's listening. But I am, I do like reality television. Well, I tell you what, maybe you need to apply to be on one of the shows they had in Miami Housewives before, and they could always rekindle it 
I would never do that. And nor would anybody out there find my life to be any interest whatsoever. <laughs> well, you can't say that. You're on a show called Living the Dream. <laughs> yeah, I guess touche. <laughs> so, all right. Favorite Miami restaurants? Yeah, I think right now Swan is my go-to, especially for people out of town. Q is another one that I love in Wynwood. It's a great restaurant. And I'll go by the old standard. Joe's Stone Crabs is such a great place, especially if it's on a Friday at lunch. That's kind of a great place to go. You know, I got to plug one of my favorite. Every time I come to Miami, I always go to uh, the Daily. It's this place over in Miami Beach in Wynwood. But they have this chili that I get for like six bucks. And it's like the best meal you can ever get in Miami. And I'm like, I thought it kind of cheesy since it was a $6 meal. But it's really, really good. <laughs> I mean, you do you. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> okay. So I was going to ask you about your mi- favorite Miami gym, but we know that is Anatomy. You can follow them at, at Anatomy on Instagram with my friend Mark Magna. So definitely check them out. All right. So if you could have lunch with three people other than me and your immediate family, who would you pick? Oh, wow. So um, Rick Wilson, who I am a huge fan of right now, he is a Republican strategist, not to bring politics into this, also a never Trumper. And I find him to be absolutely hilarious. So he would definitely be somebody I want to have lunch with. Beyonce, I think I would love to have lunch with because, I mean, of course. And let's see, who else would I like to have lunch with? I think Diane von Furstenberg would be a pretty cool person to have lunch with. would love to pick her brain on a lot of things. Yeah, and if you have lunch with him, you can take him to Swan yeah. or Joe Stonecrabs. Yeah, next time she comes down. She comes down quite a bit, so maybe I'll, I'll corner her. <laughs> All right, so since you don't want to be on reality TV, that means maybe you want to be in a movie. So if you could pick anyone to play you in a movie, who would you pick? So that's a really good question. I used to get... I think Mira Sorvino. I'm a huge fan. And, you know, I think when I was younger, I used to get like that would be my doppelganger. I mean, that was who I would get most. So I'm going to go with that that easy, easy call. And she's a great actress. Yeah, it's a very good selection. All right. One of my favorite things is comedy. So who's your favorite stand up comedian? I love comedy as well. And again, I'm going to go with recency. Um, I was just watching the Bill Burr stand up on Netflix. And that was he's really just so funny. I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, God, the Dave Chappelle stand up that he just did was so funny, so inappropriate, but so funny and amazing. So I'll go with those two. Those guys are great. And no, those are those are some great picks. I remember with Dave Chappelle, when I was studying for the Kentucky bar exam in Louisville, we were taking our practice stuff and everything. And we came out and Dave Chappelle was going to do a performance with Comedy Central and his tour bus came up right in front of the hotel. And so me and the guys I was with were like, well, let's just knock on this door and see if he's there. And he opened the door and like this huge, big puff of smoke came out and he signed the autograph. So I have a Dave Chappelle autograph and. You know, he's performed in Miami Beach a few times, and he's a great comedian. But I tell you one thing about Dave Chappelle is he's like a pretty laid back guy, lives in a small town, and he just like integrates with the people, just like a regular folk. And uh, so he does a real good job. And Bill Burr, he's definitely uh, uh, become very popular over the past few years. I know back in the day they used to have the South Beach Comedy Festival with Comedy Central, and I loved that because I mean I remember Chappelle came down for that. Uh, you used to get like Lewis Black, gosh, who else? David Spade was there. 
and they don't have it anymore, but it was really a cool thing. And they've started the Miami Improv down over in Doral, and I went to go see uh, Jeremy Piven there, and he was fantastic. All right, final question since we're on a talk show. Who is your favorite late-night talk show host? Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, David Letterman, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, Arsenio Hall, or other? So, Ben, you got me with late night because, again, mother of four, partner, I haven't seen a late night show since 2007. But when I do get to see whatever I can on an American Airlines flight, it's I'll go with Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel. No, he, he's pretty funny. All right, so since you're not up for the late night talk shows, what about a daytime talk show? You got the view. I don't I don't even know if I want to ask about the view because every time I've watched it, it's just been a complete train wreck and I'm like, oh my gosh. But oh well. Well, anyway, you have a very interesting life and a very awesome law profession and practice, and it's something that's gonna to continue to grow for many, many years, and it's something that's of interest to a lot of people. So I really appreciate you coming on the show dedicating part of your Saturday to me. And for all the people who are listening, please make sure and follow Danielle on Instagram at GT Fashion Lawyer. So it's GT Fashion Lawyer. And for those who um, also want to follow her on the internet, the law firm for Greenberg Traurig has a website at www.gtlaw.com. So as we talked about a lot of important things that people may have questions about for legal compliance, and there's no reason why they can't get that question answered by Danielle now. So I'll give you a closing remark just to plug your profession and how awesome you are. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I think I'm pretty amazing. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Ben, for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And I mean, I have to admit the Rodney thing was the hook. So hopefully I get to meet him one day. And yeah, if you want to follow me again at GT Fashion Lawyer, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or you can look me up on the website just when you go to www.gtlaw.com, search for people, search my name, Danielle Garno, G-A-R-N-O, and I'll be happy to answer any questions you may have. Thanks again. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, and we hope you guys enjoy the show and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.